reasons we kept having more so we could stay here, you know, longer and longer. Um, so, so here we are today on her birthday, and what a beautiful day it is. And now I want to go to the end of Mark chapter 4, if you may, all the way down to verse 35. Verse 35 is where we will start. And then what we are going to do is we are going to move through chapter 5 again. I'm not sorry, but I, I will apologize if you have a hard time following along. As I read that there is a lot of reading, I'm not apologizing for reading the scripture at all, but I am going to apologize if you were trying to follow along if you get lost. So here we go. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The winds, the winds ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the question that we're going to look at today. We're going to, we're going to try to answer the best we can in the time allowed because there's really no, uh, time limit on answering this question as God is infinite in his being and in all ways. But we're going to try to answer the question over a few minutes of time. Who then is this? Moving into chapter five, they came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what, do you, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that just happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to 
proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Now we got two more little stories to read. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And he came, and then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse." She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithi kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And lastly, this last verse is something we we do not want to look over or skip past. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and then told them to give her something to eat. That was a lot of reading. But in all of that reading, we can answer the question with a few different answers as to who is this? The disciples are in great fear for their lives. And here they are on a boat and Jesus orders them to go to the other side. And they're witnessing miracles. And, and there was a lot of parables that they had heard just before this you know, grand uh, voyage across the sea. And then a great storm arises. And what do they do? Out of fear for, fear for their lives, they go to Jesus and they wake him up and they say, hey, do you not care that we are perishing? Like we are about to die here and you're asleep, right? I mean, what is going on? We need your help. And then after Jesus does what he does and performs a miracle and stops the storm and calms the sea, he then Ask them, hey, do you still have no faith? And then they begin to sit with fear of who this man is, as we should with God. Okay, let me just tell you, God is not your homie. All right? God is not your homie. That is using the name of the Lord in vain. God is not my BFF. God is my Savior, my Redeemer, and the great I Am. That's who He is. 
We cannot take lightly the name and who God is. So I would just tell you for young people, if that's trendy, it's wrong and it's, it's sinful to look or try to belittle the name of the Lord. So here he is performing this miracle, questioning their faith, and they say, who then is this? So we're going to answer it. Who then is this? Well, first we see that Jesus is, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to say Jesus is, and then we're going to fill in the blank with a few words that apply to these particular four accounts that we read, and they also apply to us. In the first account, we see that Jesus is both peace and protection. Jesus is both peace and protection. And what he actually does in this particular account is he demonstrates his authority over the physical realm of existence and over the cosmos. As you read the Gospel of John, as you read in the, in the book of Colossians, you read that he is actually creator of all things, and there was nothing created that was not created through him. So Jesus demonstrates his authority over the physical realm of the cosmos, all of creation, by just simply commanding the wind to stop and the seas to stop raging on. So what does he do? He says, peace be still, and the wind stops. This is showing us that all of creation, and I mean, we know that one of these days every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We know that. So if you run from God all of your life, or if you know people that run from God all of their lives, one of these days they will be, they will be given only one thing to do, to bow and to confess that He truly is God. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. But we also see that all of creation answers to Him. But he is truly peace and protection. So you'll hear a lot of preachers say, if you are going through a storm of life, just know that Jesus is able to stop it. Just know that Jesus is still in control. But here's what I will tell you. There are circumstances that you and I, even as Christians, where the storms will rage on and they will not end. People get sick. We go through a storm of life. People get sick. And guess what? People, unfortunately, pass away. Good Christian men and women get sick and, and we think we're in a storm and all we got to do is cry out to God and he's going to heal them. Sometimes he does, but guess what? Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes these people pass away whenever we plead with him over and over. Lord, do you not care that we or they are perishing? And what he does is what he does because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts and his plans and his will is higher and greater than what we can understand. But we all find ourselves in these storms of life and in these unpredictable circumstances and these unfair or uncertain times. So what do we do? We know that he is truly peace and protection in all of it. Even if the relationship crumbles, we can still have peace with the Lord. And we can have peace to go on with our life. Even if they pass away, it may not be good. It may not feel good. So even in these uncertain, unpredictable, painful seasons of life, fearful for our very existence, we can cling to the peace of the Lord. And this is why it's so strange for us as Christians to have peace when everybody's like, how in the world do you, how in the world do you function? You maybe have had seasons of life where people around you are asking you, how do you still have joy? How in the world do you have peace? Because the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, is given to us by Him and Him alone. So you and I can go through storms of life and know that even in these times where we don't know where the food's going to be paid for, 
We don't know how the bills are going to be met. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know how this relationship is going to work. We don't know what the marriage is going to be. We don't know how our bodies are going to heal or continue to worsen. We can still have peace and protection from the Lord. Because the peace of God surpasses our understanding, which is why we can't sometimes explain why in the world we're still functioning when everyone else seems to think that we shouldn't be. Because you and I can possess the peace of God, which surpasses ours and their understanding. So that is the first thing. And what we do, how do do we receive this peace and protection? Well, we actually follow the example of the the, uh, disciples. They're fearful for their lives. So where do they go? to Christ. They don't even know that they're praying, but they're praying and they're pleading with him. Hey, can you help me here? Because can you help us? Can you save us? We are perishing. So what do they do? They go to Jesus, fearful, uncertain, and doubtful of the, of the outcome of this storm. And they plead with him to help them and to, and to save them. Just like you and I, in order to receive the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding to guard our hearts and our minds, we must first plead with the Lord to help, to save, to guide, to, to intervene on our behalf. So that is how you and I can actually experience the peace and protection of the Lord during the circumstances or the storms of life that we did not ask for, we did not foresee, and we definitely do not enjoy. And then, so Jesus goes from calming a storm to getting out of the boat on the other side of the sea, and he goes to a demon-possessed man, And in this particular account, this particular account, we see that Jesus is deliverer, deliverer. Jesus is, or you could say deliverance. Jesus is deliverance. This This man has been bound by chains and shackles and has broken all of them. And he is just running rampant and no one can bind him no one can hold him and and every time they try to subdue him his his strength overpowers everyone around him however he had yet come into contact with the great i am jesus comes and he casts out this man or casts out this demon named legion which there were many and this man is set free from and delivered from the the captivity of being demon-possessed. And this is what we can understand, that when you and I come to faith in Christ, Jesus truly does deliver us from the hand of Satan. Jesus truly does save us from our sin and deliver us from the bondage of our sin. Because here's the reality. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life found in Christ. So we also know that those who practice sin are what? Enslaved to sin. Literally held down by shackles and chains to sin. And here we go. And what we do, I remember a long time ago, I remember preaching a sermon in which I tied a chain around my leg and I walked around the old church. We used to have an aisle here and an aisle over there and then the middle was pews. And I remember just walking around here. And it was a long time ago and I remember that. And I remember preaching about what happens with sin. You know, it's just a little thought. It's just a little little, you know, interest or desire for a moment. And then what happens? Our desire brings forth sin and then sin births and brings forth death. So if you continue to just comfortably, casually, and just 
intentionally live in sin, you are literally not just sinning and falling short of God's glory, but you are separating yourself from Him, and then you are being held captive to sin. And what do you do? You try to read the books, you try to watch the YouTube videos on how to, how to be set free from this addiction or this temptation, and you don't know why you can't kick it. You do so well for a week or two, and then this lifestyle is just continuing to bring you down because you have yet to receive the delivering, amazing grace of Christ himself and to receive the salvation that he offers. You and I cannot break the shackles and the chains of sin. You can perform well, and you can make yourself look pretty good, and you can try to adjust your behavior, but the reality is, is if you do not surrender yourself to the Lord and repent of your sin, you will never experience the deliverance of Christ. It's almost like this man. He would be bound by shackles and chains, and then guess what? He would break them, and somebody else would come, another group of guys would come, and they'd say, hey, we're going to get them this time, and they would put them on him, and they, he would be held captive for a little bit, but guess what? He would break free from and that's exactly what happens whenever you and I try to deliver ourselves from our sinfulness. We might do well for a few days or even a few weeks. And then guess what? We're right back into the same lifestyles, temptations, and sinfulness that we once were. And then we struggle with it six months later. And then our marriage is falling apart. And then our finances are out of control. And our lives are a wreck. Because you do not possess the the strength or the ability to save yourself from your sin or to deliver yourself from the captivity, the enslavement that sin gives you and holds over you. The beautiful thing is, though, that Jesus has the authority of the spiritual realm as well to deliver people like you and I from the captivity of our sin, so that whenever we come to faith in Him and we surrender our hearts and our lives to Christ, and whenever we ask Him to forgive us of our sin, He is faithful and just not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us and to break the chains of captivity that you and I once carried around our feet and our legs and our arms that were attached to sin. And whenever Jesus holds us in His hand, the devil and nothing of this world can ever pry us or remove us from His hand. So the beautiful thing is Jesus truly is our deliverance. Not our behavior, not our church attendance, or not our bank accounts, or, serve, or our sacrificial giving to the church. It is literally through the blood of Jesus Christ that I can be delivered from my sin. It is through the blood of Christ that you can be confidently forgiven of, but also delivered of the captivity that sin holds you by. And then we continue on in our stories answer, trying to answer the question, who then is this? We read of this woman who for 12 years now has had a continuous discharge of blood and has spent all that she has on doctors and all these remedies. And she had the young living, you know, essential oil packet probably shipped to her house every month or two months or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but she has tried everything that she can. She's reached out to every professional that she knows. She has probably traveled. She is exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally with trying to solve this problem and nothing or no one has seemed to help. But the Bible actually says she had not gotten better, but she had gotten worse. 
She has been through every doctor. I mean, that is when you are frustrated, right? When you go to doctor after doctor after doctor and the pain progresses, and but the news is, seems like, well, there's nothing there for you. There's nothing we can do for you. So I could only imagine the pain that this woman felt, not just through her physical pain of this issue, bleeding issue, but also the mental and emotional pain and damage that she had carried because she is trusting these people to help her and to guide her and to provide for her what it is that she is going. That's why we go to the doctor, right? Like, I need an answer as to what is going on here. I'll never forget, some of you may know, last year I had some some, some little gallbladder attacks, and, and I for a week couldn't eat or sleep really well, and I was just in pain. And I remember calling or texting uh, Sarah, now Ryan, and saying, look, I don't care what I got to do. I don't care what I what you make me do, what tests I do. I need to figure out why in the world I can't sleep or eat and why I'm just literally bent over on the couch every single night just <coughs> doing this. And Michaela sometimes helped really well. You know, she was like, yeah, let me in there. But here I am. What do I do? I reached out to her because she was the one that had the expertise and the knowledge of. And guess what? She asked me one question after I gave her all of my symptoms. Do you have your gallbladder still? I said, yes. Which was funny because I go into the ultrasound tech and they're doing an ultrasound over my stomach and no baby. And here I am. I'm just kidding. And they're doing an ultrasound over my stomach and she's asking me questions. I give her my symptoms. She goes, hey, do you still have your gallbladder? Yeah, I'm only 31. Like, I'm not old yet, right? But both of these people with their expertise and their experience knew exactly what was going on. Now, thank God that by natural remedies, I believe prayer, that I've been able to retain my gallbladder and I've been symptom-free and issue-free since last October, but I reached out to them because they knew. Now, if I would have gone and I would have went home and they said, hey, I don't know what's going on, and I would have continued, I would have been so mad, and I was only sick for like a week and a half. I could only imagine 12 years. I'm also a little more dramatic than most people, and, and this lady is definitely stronger than than I would have been. But what does she do? She says, if I can just reach his garments, I will be healed. So in this particular story, we see that Jesus is healer. Jesus is healer. And he heals this woman by not even knowing, it appears, who touched him. He's just walking. There's a great crowd. And it's almost funny reading the response to the disciples. They're like, do you not see all these people and you're going to ask, you know, who touched me? Like, there's so many people flocking you right now that you can't walk. It's like, I remember telling you, it's like Indiana Jones as he's, you know, getting ready to go into the Temple of Doom to free all of these kids and all of these, this Indian village is flocking to him and he can't even breathe and they're just overwhelming him. And here's Jesus. He can't breathe. He doesn't know who's around him. Who, where are these people from? What's going on? And all this woman does is fights through the crowd just to touch his garment because she had the faith to know that Jesus can truly heal me. Now, I will be the first to thank God for doctors, nurses, medical professionals, those who have expertise in fields. I will be the first to say that I thank God for some modern medicine and natural remedies and every every other thing that you can do to help heal your body. But I will also be the first to tell you that there are things that these people can't heal you from that only God can. There's going to be some diseases that only God can heal you of. There's going to be some medications that just don't do well with your particular body or your body fights this off. And there's going to be some times where the only way for you to truly be healed of your disease, your sickness, is by the grace and the mercy of God.
So this woman fights through the crowd and reaches Jesus, which tells me that I need to also have the faith that whenever I am sick or ill or going through any kind of hardship, my first response must be, I need to run to the Lord. I need to run to the Lord rather than him. Now, in this particular case, he appears as her last resort because he, she's been sick for 12 years now. Jesus hasn't been in ministry for 12 years now. Or I believe she would have run to him first. But after trying all of these things and then hearing of the reports and the miracles that Jesus is doing, she knows full and well that if I can get to that man, just as the paralyzed man was with his four friends, carrying him on that bed for miles and then to just tear the roof down, if we can just get him in the presence of him, that man can heal him can redeem his body can strengthen his body so this woman does the same thing so we must understand and we must have the faith to believe that jesus truly can heal just as he did for her that the lord can heal us of our disease whether that be a physically disease emotionally but most importantly he heals us of our spiritual disease which is this That one time, you and I, all of us, were once dead in our sins and trespasses. Our spiritual disease was sinfulness and death, darkness. But he, Jesus, through his cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, is now makes a way for people who are spiritually ill, and I mean like spiritually ill, held captive to sin, to now be redeemed, set free, born again, but then also fully well. So here's the thing. You're not going to walk into heaven with any ailment. You're not going to rejoice in his glory forever and ever with any kind of ailment. You will be completely made new, not just your body, but there will be no recollection of sin. There will be no sinfulness. There will be no temptation. There will just be life, wellness, and spiritual and physical health forever and ever in his sight. That's what we have to look forward to. And he is not just our physical healer of now or my joints or my back or my cancer, but he is our ultimate healer of our sinfulness by giving us a remedy. Lastly, we see Jairus' daughter who is asleep. The people are like, hey, why are you going to ask him any more questions? She is sick. She is dead now. Don't trouble him anymore. Let's just go home. Let's start making the arrangements. But Jesus says, no, no, no. She's actually just asleep. They begin to laugh at her. Then he goes in with just... The three disciples, the mother and the father, and kicks everyone out. Everyone's kicked out. And Jesus tells the girl, daughter, or young girl, little girl, I say to you, arise. And here's what we see in this particular account is this. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. And then we'll get to that last verse that we read that I mentioned just a bit ago as we read to not forget this or look over this verse. And then we'll end with that. Well, let me just remind you that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus came to what? To give life and life more abundantly. Now, does that mean that whenever you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and you put your faith in him, that you're going to have an abundance of wealth and health and you're just going to prosper forever and ever? Boy, that would be nice. I mean, I would love it if I accepted the Lord and all of a sudden my bank account looks different tomorrow and and my body's healthier, my joints don't ache, and I wake up with no lower back pain, like all of these things that we gripe about or struggle with. Like, that would be beautiful. 
But that's not in the nearest bit what Jesus is referring to. He's referring to giving us life and life more abundance with love, joy, and peace and hope. That we will have an abundance of hope regardless of how broken we feel or how dark the world looks before us. That we will have hope forever and ever. We will have joy forever and ever. When people are not smiling around us, we'll continue to sing songs of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Even when everybody's questioning, how in the world are you doing this? What in the world is wrong with you? How are you out of your mind? Yeah, we kind of are. We kind of are. But Jesus says, I came to give life and life more abundantly. So you and I, as we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior here on earth, we experience this abundance of life that he gives. And it looks so different for you as it does for me in your season of life or your circumstances as it does for me. Like my abundance of life means that every time I scream at my kids, all four of them, uh, that God gives me new mercy and God softens their hearts to forgive their sinful, broken dad and father and poor excuse of a man that he is. But th- that's what I'm praying for as abundance of life, that every time I struggle, every time my daughter asks difficult questions or every time we find ourselves in a new stage of parenting and trying to answer the questions and n- nurture them, but guide them and bring them up in the discipline and the instruction, like that is an abundance of life that Jesus gives and we enjoy every second of it. The challenges now there's going to be seasons where our abundance of life looks different from you to me it may look different but the promise is still the same the promise is still true that he gives life and life more abundantly but most importantly than that those who believe in him shall never perish but what live eternally like i will live and live forever there is no end to the life that he gives there is no end to it, and I will live forever and ever and ever. So, as we look at these accounts, we're able to answer who this man is. Who is this man? The disciples asked. Well, we see that this man, Jesus, truly is our peace and protection. He is our deliverance. He is our healer, both physically and spiritually, because by his stripes, you and I may be healed. He is our Life. Jesus said about himself, John 14, 6, he says, For I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. Now here's what's beautiful. As I was reading these accounts, you look at when he calms the storm, which appears to be this huge grand ordeal for all that were there to witness it, to witness it. And then he goes and he casts out a demon-possessed man. He casts out all these demons and delivers this man. And then as he's walking, a lady that has been suffering for 12 years now with an issue of blood touches his garments and heals. And then he just goes into a room and he tells this young girl to rise up out of bed and then tells them all not to say anything to anyone. And it's almost as if the, the stories get smaller in the, in the, you know, I guess in the significance of them because it goes from a huge storm to this demon-possessed man that caused all these issues to this older woman, now to this little girl. And what's beautiful is this, is that the same God that does the great big things is the same God that does those little bitty daily things that you and I need because that's who he is. 
So the joy or the peace or the patience or the understanding, the discernment or the wisdom that I need today comes from the same God that also split the seas wide open and let the Israelites walk through on dry ground. It's the same God. That's who he is. He's not just over all things in creation and then forgetting to guide us or to be with us or to strengthen us. But here's what I want to end with. Jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this after he rises the young girl and he told them what? To give her something to eat. He took into consideration the physical need of this young girl that she had been laying who knows for how long, probably a little while, and he knew that she needed something to eat to strengthen her body. Therefore, he shows us and demonstrates to us, not only is he in charge of the the great cosmos, but he's also in control of and in charge of and into the smallest details of your life. What it was that she needed to strengthen her body was something to eat. And Jesus says, give this girl that. So he's not just there on a pedestal and you have no way to reach or to communicate with him or there's no way that he'll ever give you what you need. What I want to just end with this is, is by telling you that the same God that created the heavens and the earth is the same God that can mend your broken heart now. The same God that split the seas wide open for the Israelites to walk through on the dry ground is the same God that is able to guide you in this new season of life now. He's the same God that gives you what you need. Let's pray.